Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I will call the meeting Monday, November 13, 2023, to order at 6 p.m. We will have our invocation by Councilman Casey Lewis, our pledges by Councilman Larry Brosh, our Texas pledge by Councilman Todd Tenora, after which we're going to have a recognition. I would only ask that um, if you would please remove men, remove your hats, covers, as we would say, during the invocation as well as our pledges. Let us all stand together, please. Mr. Lewis. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to gather together and uh, do the business of the city. God, we ask a, a, uh, your wisdom on this meeting, God, that, uh, that as we go about the business of the city, that we would uh, seek your guidance and your wisdom. Father, thank you for the men and women that serve this city. We ask that you would protect the men overseas, men and women overseas fighting for our protection and safety and the freedoms that we have here in this country. We ask all this in your name. Amen. very much. I'm going to ask council if you all will join me at this time for recognition of Veterans Day Parade Awards by uh, Sergeant First Class Daniel uh, Kennel as well as Miss Angie Henley at this time. All right. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We had an outstanding Veterans Day parade this year. We want to thank everybody that uh, participated, everyone who participated in it, and of course, those who helped to make it happen. So at this time, I'm going to uh, turn over the mic to the man who helped to get it started several years ago, along with my predecessor, uh, Mayor uh, David Cook. All right, sir. Sergeant. Thank you, Mayor. I want to thank uh, Texas Representative Cook for the opportunity to uh, not say no to the uh, parade. And without further ado, I'd like to uh, thank JWV for the trophies that they provide for the parade, Angie Henley, the Student Council, City of Mansfield. Thank you all for making the parade a great parade. Without further ado, we're gonna start with the memorial trophy for Bill Ray. Bill Ray was one of the gentlemen I went to uh, when I went to uh, Cook and asked him, uh, I would like to do the Veterans Day Parade in the city of Mansfield, and I asked him to partner with us, and uh, he is gone, but not gone away from us. So we'd like to award this trophy to him, to the American Legion, uh, to the Bill Ray Memorial. So do we have a representative? All right. All right. All right. Let us, let's have some words this time. Go ahead, my friend. Come on up, Council. On behalf of Bill Ray, our past commander, 
who is no longer with us as of March this past year. It is, is a true honor to accept this from the city of Mansfield and everyone else who's, uh, that he's had a great influence on. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, we're gonna take a pick here. All right, y'all come and arrange us. Uh, we've got black tape here. I don't know if that's our mark. Is that our mark? Okay, that's our mark. Okay. See what we need. We need black tape to know where to stand. All right. Okay, now we'll start. Thank you. Now we'll start with our best flow. In third place for the 2023 Veterans Day Parade in the city of Mansfield, Bethlehem Baptist Church. Hey, all right. All right. Come on, representatives. Not being partial, but go Navy. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right, Dennis. All right, Miss Mildred. All right, come on up, gentlemen. Another round of applause. And in second place, best float 2023 Mansfield Veteran Day Parade. American Legion Post 624. Come on. Come on. Another round of applause. And in first place for the 2023 Mansfield Veterans Day Parade, American Legion Riders post 624. to the category for best JRTC unit. In third place, Mansfield 2023 Veterans Day Parade Legacy High School, JROTC. 
Okay, round of applause. And then second place for the best JROTC marching unit in the 2023 Veterans Day Parade, Timberview High School. And then first place for the best JROTC marching unit in 23 Mar Mansfield Marching Parade is Mansfield High School. Yeah. Oh! All right, we're at item number eight, our citizens' comments. Citizens wishing to address the council on non-public hearing item, agenda items and items not on the agenda, you may do so at this time. Due to the regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act, please do not expect a response from the council as we're not able to do so. This will be your only opportunity to speak unless you're speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. After the close of the citizen comments portion of the meeting, only comments related to public hearings will be heard. All comments are limited to five minutes. In order to be recognized during citizens' comments or during a public hearing, uh, please complete a blue or yellow card that is located at the entrance of the chambers and presented to the assistant city secretary seated to my right and your left. As a reminder, this will be your only opportunity to speak unless you're speaking on a scheduled public hearing item. Council may not respond due to regulations of the Texas Open Meetings Act. 
All right, Ms. Marin, do we have cards? All right. All right, for the record, we've got uh, one card, and I'm going to ask one speaker card. That is, uh, Ms. Shauna Friend, if you would come at this time, state your name again for the record, address at this time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mayor Evans yes, and City Council. My name is Shauna Friend, and I live at 13 Willowstone Court. As you have all heard from many of my uh, neighbors, a temporary uh, concrete batch plant was permitted um, by city staff adjacent to Willowstone Estates. There were numerous inquiries and a lot of confusion as to how this came to be. How could something as environmentally hazardous and toxic as a concrete batch plant go up in our backyards literally overnight? No notice of intent from the landowner or the city of Arlington or any communication to the impacted residents from our own city staff. Multiple open records requests related to the permit were returned without responsive documents, even though they existed. The only response came a few days ago and a copy of an email reply from, a Mans from the Mansfield Director of Engineering to, uh, I guess it's TISEO, T-I-S-E-O paving, approving the use of the land for a plant. As a community, we have grave concerns about how this came to be. Had city staff done due diligence, it would have known that Arlington has nearby operating batch plants they can use for their own projects. <clears throat> Allowing chemicals and carcinogens adjacent to Mansfield homes and so close to an MISD elementary school for a city of Arlington road project could have easily been denied by the city. <clears throat> a TCEQ approval should never be and is not an automatic approval of land use in our municipality. In an effort to avoid this in the future, we ask this council review all plans or permits issued by TCEQ before land use is permitted and give nearby residents fair notice of intent. We really and truly appreciate Councilwoman Bounds. Um, she took the time at a moment's notice to meet the residents at the site, and we appreciate her genuine and ongoing commitment to air quality in our city. The city email permit that we received as the batch put plant permit is dated August 18th, 2023. City ordinance allows temporary batch plants to be permitted for 120 days. As of today, the permit has been in effect for 87 days and must cease operation by December 16th. I ask the council to follow through on city ordinance, do not extend this plant's use by any means, and ensure uh, Tissio concrete vacates the land and safely removes all hazardous materials from the site by December 16th. Thank you all very much. Thank you, ma'am. All right, ma'am, do we have any other cards? All right, thank you very much. Council, at this time, I would like to make an adjustment to our agenda. On to move item 23-5705. I'd like to move that particular item up. This is an ordinance, public hearing, continuation, and first reading of an ordinance approving a change of zoning from C2, Community Business District, to PD, Planning Development District for Senior Independent Living and Ground Floor Commercial Uses on approximately 8.08 acres, generally located south of Turner one L Road and approximately 500 feet east of FM 157 on property addressed at 1420 
Turner Warnell, uh, Turner Warnell uh, Road, excuse me, River Bend Village Partners, LLC developer, Arrive Architecture Group, architect, and the zoning case number is 23-013. All right, Mr. Rodriguez. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Yes, Tonight sir. before you is a rezoning request uh, to take an existing C2 zone property to a PD plan development district for a senior independent living um, housing project as well as uh, ground floor commercial uses uh, within the same building. Uh, the property in question is just over eight acres and located um, just east of the intersection of 157, FM 157 and Turner Warnell. As you can see here, um, FM 157 is just off of the map. Uh, the current zoning is C2, as I stated. Um, we'll get into that a little bit more in detail. Uh, uh, okay. Um, so the C2 zoning that you see here today uh, is, is what is being requested to be changed over to the PD plan development. Uh, looking at the site plan and, and looking at some of the analysis of, the, uh, analysis of that site plan, uh, this is currently an 8.08 acre site. Uh, the request is to uh, rezone the property to allow for 202 senior dwelling units as well as 9,000 square feet of commercial. Uh, the development does provide building frontages through porches, dooryards, stoops, and shop fronts, as we've seen with all of our uh, residential developments that come in with the city of Mansfield. Uh, there are uh, civic spaces, both internally within a courtyard, but also external uh, along patios and courtyards uh, along the, the northern and western edge of the property. Um, when looking at the site plan that went to Planning and Zoning Commission, you'll see a couple of changes. I'll point those out as we move through. Um, but this is the revised site plan. Some of the differences that I'll point out are uh, they have added a direct uh, connection from their uh, sort of outdoor patio area uh, to the sidewalks that are being built on Turner Warnell, as well as they've removed some exterior gates uh, that uh, the Planning and Zoning Commission did take exception to. Uh, the development itself is a um, is mainly a, a, a four-story residential development with all of the commercial development occurring on the ground floor uh, on the frontage that faces Turner Warnell. Um, here's a, another look at the building elevations as we move along the project. Um, Previously, and as presented to the Planning and Zoning Commission, this was the interior courtyard uh, look that was shown. Uh, the developer has made some changes to uh, ensure that the uh, materials provided uh, match those that are on the exterior, as well as providing a, a more uh, continuous uh, building material palette. Um, looking at the, the previously submitted site plan, uh, this shows um, what was shown to the Planning and Zoning Commission. Uh, as stated, though, the Planning and Zoning Commission did ask that the developer look at figuring out ways to uh, better connect uh, pedestrians around the development and to development to the, to the west. So earlier I showed uh, that, that sidewalk that does go out to Turner Warnell connects over to the uh, new sidewalks being built with that project. Uh, but there are, there's also a uh, walking path that takes you around the development and both 
to the east as well um, to the commercial that goes over to the west. Uh, here's a little bit better example showing that, that connection point uh, down at the southwest corner of the development. Um, this exhibit also shows the existing sidewalk network um, both on 157 and on Turner Warnow. Um, as stated, this is a C2 zone property today and as, as zoned as C2, the permitted uses could be items such as uh, retail restaurants, offices, big box retailers, hotels, uh, churches, college schools, those types of uses. As a PD plan development, uh, this developer is seeking to only allow senior housing and neighborhood oriented uses such as a corner market, medical office, and food establishment, service establishments. Uh, the C2 Community Business District would require a minimum setback of 75 feet from a building uh, that is 50 feet in height to the nearest residential property. This development as proposed uh, has varying setbacks. Uh, the greatest one is uh, the 206 feet that you have to the east facade, uh, but there is also an area on the southern facade to the nearest residential property line that is 126.92 feet. Uh, the C2 Community Business District has a maximum height of 50 feet uh, and currently 60 feet is, sorry, height of 50 feet and 60 feet maximum is proposed. Uh, the property is zoned C2, in summary, the property is zoned C2 Community Business District which allows a typical retail development. The project will provide a transition from existing commercial uses uh, found on the west of the property uh, to the residential areas to the south and east. Uh, the project does expand housing options for seniors while introducing meaningful neighborhood focused uses. Uh, the project builds on the Mansfield 2040 plan as well as the proposed neighborhood design standards. Uh, and with that, staff is available for any questions. All right, thank you very much. Are there any questions for Mr. Rodriguez? I have a few questions. Go ahead, Ms. Short. Was there a line of sight study done on uh, since there are single family residential? There was a line of sight study done. I don't believe that we have that exhibit here. It may be within the developer's presentation if they do plan on, on presenting. Um, we showed that line of sight exhibit at PNZ or it was shown to PNZ. And um, it's stated that it's 455 and plus. How is that enforced? Um, that is enforced based on, um, well, one, the city doesn't enforce the, the uh, age restriction. That is enforced based on the, um, sorry, there are certain financing mechanisms that developers will utilize uh, that require um, them to monitor the ages of the applicants. The only way for them to, um, restrict the, the property to that is, in, is by doing an evaluation uh, and application process uh, as, those pro as those proposed residents come in uh, and those are all monitored via the uh, financing agency, which in this case uh, may be the, the Housing and Urban Development or, or other uh, financing corporation. And do you know if that, if they are involved? I don't know if they're involved. Okay. Uh, the development team would know about their financing staff. When we're looking at the land use specifically, we don't get into their financing. 
And I, I was a little confused on the plans. It showed a six-foot masonry wall, but also a six-foot metal fence. Can you elaborate on that? I'm going to probably call up Art, just because this was a case that he looked at. I know that as we've looked at a lot of our uh, developments moving forward with uh, masonry walls, uh, we wanted to make sure that we are uh, providing those types of walls that are more easily maintained. So, Art, I don't know what, if there were they changes. Were originally proposing a masonry wall. Um, because we've had issues with long-term maintenance of walls, we asked them to change it to a wrought iron fence with landscaping. So on the landscaping plan, you're going to see a variety of trees lining the property line along with shrubs to mitigate that. And then the residents have backyard fences that would be on the other side of their landscaping. Okay. Okay, and then um, there was uh, some wording that said, let's see, it, it said a, a grease trap if needed. And I saw that it uh, stated there was, had to be 2,500 square feet of the gross lease space dedicated to a restaurant, coffee shop, cafe, or similar food service. How would there not be a grease trap needed if that's the requirement? In most instances, you're correct. A, a food establishment will require a grease trap, even things as simple as coffee shops based on the types of dairy that they utilize. Uh, would require a grease trap. And so I, I think rather than get into the size of grease trap, which is a lot of what, what we sometimes do in land use discussions, I think what we did was just state that uh, if needed, that would be some item that would come in during the permitting process. Okay. And then it said uh, there were eight side amenities. Um, are those eight required or are they optional? It was such uh, the pool clubhouse, pickleball courts, a walking trail, pet park, fountain, space for outdoor dining, a view corridor seating area, covered cabana with fire pit and grilling area, enhanced paving. Are all those required? They're not all required. So for instance, the pool would not be a required area, uh, but some of those are required areas based on our um, passive space requirements found within our landscape ordinance. So uh, the seating area, the walking trail area, uh, the area along the eastern property line that has uh, sort of that, that gathering area, all of those spaces would be required to meet that passive space requirement found within our landscaping ordinance. Okay, so they could pick and choose. Yes, what the landscape ordinance does is it does have a, a short menu of items, but it's looking for items that allow for the community, um, both the, the residents and the community that visits the project for the, the retail to um, sit in those outdoor areas. Uh, so it does require for there to be covering um, as well as seating areas, those kinds of things. Uh, so it's a little bit of a menu that they pick from, but none of those items like the pool are specifically required, nor is the pickleball area pick, uh, specifically required. Those are interior to the building uh, and not those exterior passive spaces. Okay, I mean, I personally would, would not be comfortable unless we could nail some of that down because in my mind, you know, the way it's drawn here, and this is, we've run into this before, we see a picture 
that's what we think it's going to be like, and then it doesn't turn out that way. I apologize. I thought that what you were asking was if they were required by ordinance. A pickleball court is not required by ordinance. A pool is not required by ordinance. If they are showing it as part of their site plan, it is required okay. by the plan development. Okay. Uh, another question on that same in that same line. Um, it talks about the clubhouse, and I think it's you know to well over seven thousand square feet. But it said it may contain a leasing office, a library, a great room, a club room, bistro, catering kitchen, arts and crafts room, fitness center, and theater. Is that left up to the developer as well? If it's not specifically defined, it is item. It, those are items that the council could ask that they be defined more as we move forward with this uh, request. Uh, but at this time, those are not uh, specifically. Uh, if they're such as type items, they're not items that are specifically required. Okay. Um, do we know how many of these units are one bedroom and how many are two bedroom? I do not know that off the top of my head. If the development or the developer wants to answer that question when they come up, I'll, I'll let them. Okay. I have a few questions. Sure. Thank you, Art. Gotcha. All right. Ms. Lewis, you have a word, sir? I'd like to hear from the developer and then yes. I may have several comments or statements. Mighty fine. Everybody else? All right, going to uh, call up the applicant at this time. Just asking if you will come, uh, Mr. Dixon Holman. Just come and state your name and your address, and we'll hear from you, sir. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council, Mr. City Manager, City Secretary. I'm uh, Dixon Holman. Uh, my office is 120 East Abram Street, Suite B, Arlington, Texas. And appreciate the opportunity to be here this evening. Uh, Mr. Uh, Wheaton Rodriguez gave you a, a very good overview of, of the entire project, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time going through all the detail. I will go through our uh, presentation, and it answers some of the questions. I will say, though, first, there are a couple things. Uh, several of the things we just talked about, gates and walls, grease trap amenities, those are all things that we've just tried to, the reason some of those are open and openly worded is because Whatever the city council decides they want to do, we've, we've been working with staff. It's been to be as cooperative on those things as possible. And so uh, if, if you need definition inside the clubhouse, we're happy to do that. We, we've understood through the process that sometimes flexibility works better from the city's perspective, so we wanted to do that. When um, the gates were presented uh, initially, we had gates. Uh, city staff had felt like it would be preferable not to have them and so our position going into PNZ and we stated at PNZ as well was gates or no gates the city's desire is the direction we'll go so neither one fundamentally impacts our uh, our projected uh, ability to make this project work and and to, to lease and and uh, then it follows the same way the grease trap, uh, if it's required, would mean if it was the type, if it was a coffee shop that didn't need a grease trap, then there wouldn't be a grease trap. But we'll, we'll construct the grease trap pursuant to the city requirements. So, I mean, if, it's, if it needs to be there, it will be there. And uh, that's been our position throughout. The same with the amenities. If, uh, if those amenities are all nailed down uh, to your preference in the PD. Those, those amenities are the ones that will be constructed and maintained. When it comes to the age restriction, uh, I, don't, I don't have the specifics on the, on the landing mechanism, and I don't know if that's the driver. I know that the, uh, 
uh, that the PD can certainly restrict it age-wise and that, that that is what the developer wants it to be. And it's gonna be designed for that purpose. And we're getting, I'm getting uh, our architect, uh, Mark Tosin is right over here. I'm gonna get the unit count for you. Uh, we don't have any three bedroom units. Yeah, uh, yeah, 110, one, and 92 twos, and that's it. And now I'm gonna tell you also that we, uh, we've heard a lot of concern about the distance and the height, and uh, the property owner, uh, my client uh, is the property owner, and they uh, will be developing the property, and uh, he informed me this afternoon they're agreeable to doing away with the fourth floor units on both the east and the south side. Those are the two residentially adjacent sides of the development. And so he'll go ahead and take those off. That lowers the unit count by 16. So it lowered from 202 to 184, or, or from 202 to 186, sorry. And uh, so with that, I'll go ahead and proceed. Is this us? Is ours up here? gives you an idea of the amenities. You've seen these things before. I know only a certain amount of time here. Uh, the layout of where everything will be so that you can see, and that was as discussed by, uh, by Artie when he was showing it to you. So I'm gonna spend a lot of time. If you have questions on any of this, please stop me or, or we can come back. I'll talk a little bit about the distance here. You see those distances, the 124.11 from the fence to the building there at the south. Right now with a C2, it's 75 feet. You see 206 uh, and four inches on the east and 181, three inches, same way, it's 75 on C2 right now. We're talking about at the four story, I just told you we're gonna remove the three story, drop down to three stories and remove the fourth on the south and east. Uh, that fourth floor will be 60 feet. Right now we could build 50 feet, 75 feet from the property line by right today without a uh, public approval process. And uh, so that, that just gives you some context. Uh, again, here you've seen these elevations. Uh, again, we'll, we'll be removing from uh, the east, the fourth floor in any of these renderings you see. And the south. And so inside the courtyard, we'll probably redesign that to, you know, if we're gonna lose fourth floor in the courtyard, that'll obviously be made so it'll look consistent and the architecture will be, uh, uh, you know, a continuous flow all the way throughout. We did make that adjustment though to, uh, to up the materials inside after PNC. This is that height envelope setback that, uh, that Ms. Short was talking about. And uh, as you see here, if those plates that you see are, in, they indicate each, each story. So if you drop that line from the fourth, that pink box is where we could, we could build today with C2. If you, if you go back over there to that grid, the black grid, it looks like girders, and now if you drop that sight line to that third, that third floor up as opposed to the fourth, uh, that would be the top of the building. So that would be the sight line uh, at, uh, at the nearest point to any of the residences in the entire development. 
So uh, that gives you, that'll give you an idea of what you're looking at. It drops uh, the, that angle to a much flatter trajectory. And you see it again here, just uh, this is with the 2064 and you see how flat it'll be there. And uh, then it shows, this shows you a better view all the way across and you can see then what it's like uh, and how flat that will be. That's, that, that's not, that does not loom over the uh, adjacent properties, especially the third floor being the top. And so what we, what we hoped when the way we've worked through this and we've worked through, we've moved through this process, we, we've been through a lot of iterations in the last year plus, and uh, we've moved this, and I know we've had, we've, and we, we may have dropped the ball, but we had an understanding, I guess, when, when we first started the process, it was coming right off of another case that had just been withdrawn, that had come in out of the SOMA ordinance that didn't have all this specificity. And so we took a lot of that feedback that had been gathered through the process that, by, that the neighborhood had given to that developer. And that's not, we're not the same people. There's different parties involved here. Uh, and, and it had been given to the city. And so we just kind of stepped in and said, okay, we're hearing all that. Let's try to do something that is, that's more specific. Come in with a PD and be able to say to, to the folks who live around it and the people who own property around it, that this is, this is what we're gonna do. This is not a concept of what we're gonna do, it's what we're gonna do. And so we started to work that way, and I know there's been some concern that, that we didn't meet with the neighborhood to discuss that, and I think it was probably because when we started and how soon we were, or how close we were to the comments that had been made, we certainly didn't mean it as disrespect to, to the folks who live adjacent, because we know that's, you know, I mean, I certainly understand that as, as a you know a homeowner, you you want you want to know what's going on, and and there was no there was no conspiracy to to keep that from happening. That's not the way I do business. And I know many of you, and and I've been doing this kind of thing a long time, and I'm not I'm not going to try to pull something over on somebody. It was just that's the way it worked, and that's the true story. And that doesn't mean it doesn't still cause concern, but it's that's what happened. And so, as you see, we designed it also to try to, to be a catalyst based upon the desires of the city and its goals and vision and stated design criteria uh, of the recent past to be able to have a catalytic effect on the existing commercial on 157 and be able to be designed proactively to, in the future, be able to interact with, with whatever uh, is redeveloped there, you know, and if something's redeveloped there, that's obviously up to the property owners who own it today as to whatever they do, but it might help entice them to do that as well. And so that, that is, uh, that's, that's really the overview. You heard about the, the trail system when we tried to rearrange that and make that go. We also, in this process, moved the building far closer to Turner Warnell than we originally proposed, and that was another thing the city staff had guided us on to give it, to put that commercial up closer, and then it also allowed us, the property owner bought an additional acre from the Golden Chick owner, and it bought it, closed on it, and owns it, and added an acre to the seven acres, so as to give us more room to change the design of the building. So he's been all in on this, to try to make this work, and to be a, a, a development that 
Mansfield can be proud of and surrounding area could be proud of and something that will be successful in a gateway from the north uh, into Mansfield coming out of Arlington. And we just, uh, you know, we talked about seniors. I know there are different opinions about that. Uh, but, but right now there is significant market demand. Uh, if there wasn't, my client wouldn't be proposing to do it. There's no benefit to build something and nobody comes. And so uh, there's, there is market demand. And, and, you know, we don't, we also, we've heard sometimes that we're, we're kind of forcing people out of their homes to make them come lease. We don't, we don't make anybody sell their home. And we, if they don't want to come here, they certainly don't have to. And I'm, I'm all for people. My mother's 85 years old and she lives, she lives in her home and she plans to stay there. And uh, I'm all for that. Now, if she had the desire to, to sell that home and, and move somewhere else, I'd want her to move into a high-quality place if she wanted to live independently and, and be happy and feel comfortable. So uh, we're just providing an option out there in the marketplace, and we think it can be very successful, and, and we, we believe the numbers bear that out. And this is just some additional research that pretty well restates uh, what I'm talking about. There have been some studies about the benefits just in longevity and uh, quality of life for uh, seniors who, who you know, they're seniors who want to stay in their homes and they're seniors who feel trapped in their homes. And I've been in the real estate business, as some of you know, for, for 40 years in this county and in this area. And I've seen a lot of circumstances on both sides where there, there are people that feel trapped in their homes and there are others who want to get out of their homes uh, for, for business reasons or you know, money reasons or they want to relocate somewhere. And then there are folks who just, just uh, uh, you know, want to stay right where they are, like I described my mother, and they'll stay there for as long as they possibly can. So I'm not going to, I don't want to belabor the rest of that. I've kind of made the point uh, on, the, uh, on the senior <laughs> issue. And, and uh, you know, there are all seniors too. Seniors sometimes, I'm, I'm 63, so I guess I'm, I'm right, I'm right in there. Seniors get portrayed sometimes as being people that can just barely move around and they can't drive a car and they're going to run into something if they do. You know, I'm eight years past 55 and I drove here tonight and I walked in here by myself and I'll walk out by myself. And so, you know, everybody that's a senior is not necessarily uh, in need of, of, you know, help doing everything they do and if and if they you know do need those things there are certainly places that can provide that this is an independent living facility and there are lots of independent people 55 and over so uh, with that I'm, I'm happy to answer any questions and i know there, there are lots of folks that want to talk about this tonight and i'll be happy to come back if you have uh further questions uh if if not right now i'll i'll go ahead and sit down and let you move I believe you have questions. Okay. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Lewis. Uh, only question I have for Dixon is <clears throat> you said the property owner is the owner. Yes. They've closed purchase land. How long ago did they buy it? Uh, a year ago. Okay, so they bought it 12 months ago and it was zoned C2 at the time? Yes. It's pretty, that's not typical for somebody to buy a property, close on it, and without the zoning in place for what they're wanting to do. Right, in the so, previous case it had not been that way. This one, he bought this, it. So if, if he doesn't get zoning for this, what is the intention with the he property? He will develop it. I mean, he's, he's very clear. But they, he and his partners do lots of different things, from hotels to 
commercial properties and office and warehouse and they, I mean they do a lot of things and they bought this piece of property and and they do not intend to let go of it they it, it will it will be developed so as to provide revenue okay that's the only question I have for Dixon I will have some for, for staff but if others have questions for him all right thank you very much um, mr. Newsom Ms. bounds all right to my left Y'all have any questions, Ms. Short? Do you have any questions, ma'am? Well, I, I did think it was kind of strange that we never did hear from you guys about this project, which you and I have met on other projects you worked with developers on. So it made me wonder, you know, what's different about this one. And then I went talking with some of the homeowners, and they did try to reach out but could never get a response. Um, well, I, I don't know about that. I've talked to several people who have called me on the phone, and I know Mr. Tolson has had email conversations and discussions and the property owner as well, but I've had telephone conversations with several people about, about this case who were not involved in it, but were people that were interested, neighbors, uh, other property owners. And, and the trajectory of this whole process, because it's changed, 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 we didn't know when we were gonna be at PNC. Uh, we weren't sure about that, and then it came up pretty fast, and I think the staff can, can attest to that. It, it, it didn't have anything to do with anybody, anybody dropping the ball. It was just sort of the way it worked, and, and we, we were changing it, and we changed it again, and we changed it again, and we changed it again, and then we waited, and we had to wait for a while as we did a study with Arlington over the engineering. We had to prove uh, that our water could be taken by the existing system and a Hewitt Zoller study that the city had done. The city didn't want to release it. We had to get them to release it. And we looked at that and Mansfield Engineering had to sign off on it. And then all of a sudden it was, well, all right, that, you got that answer, let's go. And then we were, we were on the PNZ agenda at that point. And then when we got through with PNZ, then it was, well, we need to look at some things because we don't know how the meetings are going to line up. And so we're going to wait. So it's been like that even to where we thought we were going to be on the 3 o'clock agenda this afternoon until a few days ago. And, and then we were going to be in the evening agenda, but not 3 o'clock, but we're still on, we were still on the printed agenda for 3 o'clock. So it was not to, it was not to try to, to keep all of you who know me, and I know, Ms. Short, you certainly do as a council member. I, I try to bring things to two members of the city council to sit down and, and talk about it. This one just had really started to move, but we've certainly, we, I know I've talked to people. Now, I, I explained earlier that we didn't talk to a lot of people all the way through that process uh, that we were going through, but since the PNZ and all, we've certainly been talking. Have people. you worked with this developer before? I have not worked with him. I know people who have, but I have not. But every one of my clients was my first, was first time when I took on their first case. So, you know, I mean, I, I haven't, but I'm very comfortable with him. And I've, I've been working now for over a year and everything he said he'd do, he's done. And he has been far more willing than some of my clients are to, to change and move things and adjust and work with the staff to try to, to uh, uh, comply with, with what the stated desires, at least as they're presented uh, to us have been and and so but but no I haven't worked I haven't worked on on another project but I'm working on another project going forward with him right now concurrently okay thank you all right 
I'll have questions for staff. All right, on my left. All right, Mr. All right. Rod thank, thank you, you Mr. Rodriguez. All right, Mr. Lewis, go ahead, sir. Mr. Rodriguez, so um, I guess my questions really have a lot to do with use type and, and alternatives. Um, I, I don't believe that this is the right use type here, um, but I also want to make sure that the people wearing red this evening um, understand that there is zoning entitlement on this property that allows for things to happen that you may not like. We have, we have a lot of properties across the city that council doesn't necessarily love how they're zoned today, but we can't just go actively rezone somebody's property. Um, and so uh, setback requirement on C2 from the rear property line, um, those on Willowstone and I forget what the other street is, but what, what is the C2 setback requirement? Um, the C2, it varies based on the height of the building. Okay, so uh, if it's at, maximum height at 50 feet, that's allowable. That's correct. And then, at maximum height of 50 feet, that's allowable. It was stated earlier that it was 75 feet for that setback. Okay. That setback is, can get down to as low as 52 and a half feet based on a single story You structure. said 52 and a half? Yes, sir. Okay. And they would probably, like if it were a big box, that would be where they would put the trucks and the drive lanes and the loading docks and all of that would be on the back side of the building? Yes, sir. And, and I only bring this up because we literally, I think a lot of times people think council sees every project that comes through the city. We do, we do not. Um, floor and decor is going right up the street from this location, zoned C2 commercial. And I found out about it when I saw the bulldozers on the site. Um, so <laughs> I get calls all the time, what's being built here? And I, I don't know. I, I thought you knew what everything in the city. We, we don't. Um, if it's zoned, they, they what? They come in and just pull a permit, and if their permit matches all of the requirements of the zoning, they get to move forward and start moving dirt? Yes, sir. In most instances, I mean, sometimes you'll have a plat that's required, and that will be the only public portion of the process, but that's really just identifying the property uh, outline. Uh, outside of that, you're correct. They would come into a building permit if they had a, the correct zoning and a plat already in place. Uh, they would have the entitlements necessary to submit for a building permit. And so we're left with what are those C2 uses, which is a large use table that you already kind of illustrated yes, with sir. what that is. Um, I don't know, I don't personally believe that C2 is probably the right use either. I think there does need to be a transition between the existing single family and the C2 that's on the major frontage roads. That typically is some sort of, of residential deal. I hate that um, mixed use has become this term that always means apartments because it's not the case. Mixed use is simply mixed use. It could be office and retail. It could be uh, some smaller form of residential with row homes or townhomes or manor homes and commercial. Um, mixed use can be single family mixed in with commercial working together. It just seems like every time we see a mixed use project, I, I know our public definitely sees that it's always apartments. Um, and um, I just, I don't see apartment use this density level um, following what we have promised our residents as land use. We, our land use plan has been really clear. We're going to have multifamily in our city, but it's, it's primarily in our highway corridors, in our entertainment district, along the reserve. That's what our land use special, special plans have said, not these random infill pieces throughout town where I, just, I don't see how we can pack this level of density there. Um, but I think there's a residential component that could work in a neighborhood design in, in this site. 
if this were to, let's just say, perimeter uh, around the existing residence, some sort of townhome product or uh, owner-occupied uh, condo or some, something along those lines, what do those setbacks typically look like for residential against residential? So that's what is, is interesting, Councilmember, because our zoning ordinance is so old. Um, you know, we're, we're looking at the types of townhomes that were built in the 1980s yeah. uh, when we're looking at those setbacks. So those setbacks um, vary. Uh, I wouldn't say that they're much greater than 52 and a half feet. I think that they're in most instances 20 and 30 feet in, those, in that range. You know, typically if we, we were to put an alley back there because we would want a townhome to be alley loaded, an alley's 20 feet wide, and then you usually have a 20 foot driveway and then the building. Yes, sir. And so if that were the type of use that were being proposed, you could very easily have a three-story townhome that's built at 40-foot setback from the property line, but then you have a townhome product, not, not higher density, not commercial right up against those property lines. Um, just want anybody that's speaking this evening or has considered, like, there are alternative uses, but there's also the, the C2 use that's in place and this what this developer has proposed is a 200 plus foot setback, pretty good sight lines. I don't think it's the right use type. We've been really clear with our residents where multifamily we feel is going to, to go and it's not in somebody's backyard in existing areas. Um, but just keep in mind as you're moving forward with this land behind your house, it's it's zone C2 today. That could mean a floor and decor type use that is a 50 foot building right off your back porch and the sight line's going to be worse than what this project shows. But if you're okay with that and don't, then, then by all means, just understand that people have rights to build on their land that, that they have and we don't have full control over what that looks like. So those are my comments, thank you. Council member, out of full transparency, I would like to state that there is a little bit of the area, especially along the eastern property line that is dedicated to a drainage easement. So that area would always have some sort of included buffer, uh, but that, I just wanted yeah. to make sure no, I that, brought that up. Yeah, uh, and one other since I've seen it brought up, do you have any control over what a developer calls you and wants to present to you in the planning department? Um, we accept applications from all of the developers on so all of the how, cases. How often, would you say it's more or less than a dozen times a year that you get a call or a developer wants a DRC meeting for a multifamily project in our city limits? Um, council member, we meet with three developers every week uh, in DRC meetings, and in a lot of instances, those cases do not materialize into a case that even comes this far. So I would say it's probably even greater than that. I, I know I personally receive at least three dozen calls a year asking for an apartment project, and I won't speak for my colleagues up here, but I'm probably pretty sure that it's the same case. We've proven pretty consistently similar project to this one right behind Sprouts. We unanimously turned it down. Country Club and Matlock, an age-restricted active adult project, we turned it down. Um, we've been very consistent with, with that. But if somebody wants to build a 20-story condo tower in Mansfield, Texas, and they call you up and they come to a DRC meeting, you don't get control if that's what they ultimately want to present to this city council and go through the public hearing process. It's just your job to make sure that it's the best that it can be because ultimately if this body were to approve it, the city's stuck with it, right? Yes, so, yes, so when 10 months ago a developer calls you and says, hey, I'm thinking about this type of project, it's your job as planning staff to facilitate that through the process and ultimately get to 
either they decide to move forward through the public hearing process or they fall out of the, the pipeline somewhere, it becomes serious when they actually put in for their zoning change, right? Yes, pay their pay, pay their application fee and it's now moving forward and all of you guys get notice. So just as far as the process goes, this wasn't some big shady thing that staff's been working behind the scenes for a year on to, to put together. It's just how the process works. We all get dozens of calls about development in our city and it becomes real about the time that they put in an application and pay their permit fee that's that's when it becomes real for us that oh we really need to look into this and start notifying people and moving forward so thank you already all right are there any other statements comments to be made at this time all right if not i will open our public hearing at uh, 6 56 p.m all right in regard to our cards all right we have three speakers and we'll begin with uh, Mr. Uh, Jerry Creamer, if you would come, stating your uh, name, address, and you have five minutes, sir. Good evening. My name is Jerry Creamer. I live at 4 Rain Tree Court, Mansfield, Texas. I'm president of the Williston Estates HOA. And the people in red, as well as some people who are not in red, are, part of, are my neighbors. So I'm going to ask them to stand up so you understand exactly who's in our HOA. <clears throat> Thank you, everyone. Please be seated. I moved into the neighborhood in 2001, and we knew that the land just south of Turner Warnell and the land just east of Cooper was zoned C2. I've heard rumors that we are against any type of development. I've even heard that at the planning and zoning. I do not think that is an accurate statement or is reflected in our history. Since we have moved there, they have built a CVS, three shopping centers, plus the one that's just south of what he showed earlier, south of Forest Mill. We have never opposed any of those. We do not oppose the golden chick being developed. A lot of my neighbors, patronize those buildings. And I personally have been sad when some of those buildings failed. So I want to be very clear. We are not against development. We understand that that land belongs to someone and they have a right to develop it. What we are opposed to is a zoning change from C2 to PD. Bottom line, we are against that. I will say that I appreciate every member of the council and the mayor responding to my emails. I appreciate the council members who spoke with me personally and with my fellow neighbors. I appreciate you moving this meeting from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. so that my neighbors could attend. I appreciate the mayor and city council adopting a land use plan in 2012 that clearly states there needs to be a buffer between density, high density, multifamily apartments, and low density, single family homes. I appreciate what this current council and current mayor are doing on the 2040 land use plan, which goes into even more description about what is acceptable in terms of a buffer. But if you look at the current land use plan of 2012, it clearly states that there should be something like a linear park. It even listed in the illustration. I don't think anyone in this room thinks that a row of trees along a metal fence meets the definition of a linear park. 
Now here are my concerns. A metal fence will do absolutely nothing regarding light pollution and noise pollution, especially when you're going to have vehicles pulling into those parking spaces that are only 50 feet in some areas from the back fence. I don't think it is a walkable neighborhood like it has been described. So I work for the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, and I have for 32 years. And I am not speaking on the behalf of HUD. I am speaking solely on the behalf of my neighborhood. But I bring with me 32 years of experience, and I have worked on thousands of properties very similar to this across the nation and enforcement. There is some confusion, so I would like to clarify. 55 plus is not the same thing as senior housing, and it's inappropriate to use those terms interchangeably. 55 plus states that one resident has to be 55. They can have a spouse who is younger than 55, as well as children. And the National Fair Housing Act prohibits discrimination based on familiar status. Documents and laws require that in order to market yourself as 55 plus, only 80% of the apartments have to have someone 55 or older living in it. The other 20% can be leased to anyone. Now what I have experienced is there has been a lot of concern about this in college towns where a parent or a grandparent leases an apartment in a 55-plus community as their second home and then allows their college students to live there to attend college. And there really isn't anything that can be done about it. There is no federal law. There is no HUD code. There is no state law in Texas. And there is no city ordinance in Mansfield that gives you the authority to regulate who lives there. And as cybersecurity has become a bigger issue, HUD and other federal agencies have become even tighter on private personal information. So I do not know of anyone who would have the authority in this type of complex to go in there and ask to see rent rolls, tenant files, and verify the age of the tenants. So it would strictly be up to the owner slash management agent to tell you that they are complying or not complying. Thank okay. you, Ms. Kramer. Thank you. <clears throat> Appreciate you, buddy. <clears throat> All right. Thank you very much. All right. At this time, um, Renee Simpkins comes. Please, again, state your name and your address. Good evening. My name is Renee Simpkins, and I reside at 3067 Willowstone Trail. Um, I would like to oppose this particular proposed development and zoning change in particular, um, because it would interfere with the quality of my life, myself, and the residents of Willowstone, the, the life that we expect. My husband and I have resided in Willowstone Estates for 22 years. What brought us and many residents to Mansfield was the small town feeling, even though we knew it was a growing city. Despite the fact that even 20 years ago our town was booming, there were some guidelines or requirements or expectations that were in place that considered the interest and well-being of the entire community. You didn't see urban light buildings that were more than two to three stories. Green space and trees were of importance and the school district was a destination district. 
citizens didn't, citizens didn't mind paying higher taxes for this quality of life. Um, we're rooted in this community. We've been members of Walnut Ridge Church for 15 years, serving our community through outreach projects. Um, I fully embrace the motto of our school district, Mansfield is a better place to live, learn, and teach by getting my teaching certification license and have been a teacher in the district for seven years now. And I'm proud to say that all three of my children are products of MISD. Mansfield is our home. We've built our roots here. We value Mansfield. And as the debate over apartments being built in Mansfield has been brewing, I've given consideration to both sides of the debate. I understand there is a need for affordable housing in our city. And from what I understand, the city benefits from the tax revenue coming from such complexes and incur less maintenance costs. But what I wonder is, does the growth that the city planners envision have to be mutually exclusive to what Mansfield residents want? What I think our residents really would like to see from our city leaders and planners is consideration of the impact of proposed projects on the homeowners that have contributed to the growth of our community. Please keep in mind the old adage, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Some of the reasons why you shouldn't allow this particular project are, and I was glad to hear that some of these things have been addressed tonight, but the height of the project is invasive to my privacy and my neighbors. I am one of the backyards that backs up to this property. Aesthetically, the architecture does not complement the area. This area does not support the increased retail space in this project. Currently, there are vacancies in the retail space that exist. Aesthetically, the architecture does not complement the area. I've already said that, I'm sorry. Um, light and sound pollution from the building would be invasive to my quality of life. Increased automobile and foot traffic would invade our neighborhood, causing safety concerns. Inevitably, the crime would increase with these apartments. And finally, and sincerely, without any facetious intent, I beseech you to consider whether or not you would want this or any other project that would be of this height behind your home. And that is what I think the residents of Mansfield want you to know that we stand united on. Please raise your hand if you would like to trust that our city planning commission will protect the interest of homeowners across the city by not approving proposed apartments that would be directly beside a housing community. Growth should be mutually beneficial. Thank you for your time. Thank you, ma'am. All right, I have one more speaker. That is uh, Mr. Mark Letterman. You're in the room? All right, thank you. For the record, you are opposed. Am I correct? Okay, thank you. All right, we do have, all right, we have, all right, thank you. We have 139 non-speakers who are also uh, opposed to um, this particular uh, item on the agenda. So thank you all very much for sharing these particular names will be entered into uh, the record at this time. So outstanding. All right. All right. As we move forward at this time, that is all that we have. Am I correct? All right. We will um, continue the uh, public hearing at 707 PM. All right. I will call for a motion. Motion Mr. to deny. Mayor. Second. I move that we deny 
Second. All right, it's been motioned by Mr. Brosh, second by Mr. Lewis. Questions? Can I make a comment? You may. Uh, this is uh, comments to you, Dixon. Uh, first of all, I appreciate you bringing us opportunities to our city. You're respected in the field that you're in. It's not this project that I think we're opposed to. I think it's the location. This city, you know, with our aging population, definitely needs 55 and over. So I would challenge you to bring us this project, maybe in another part of our community, where we are approving these types of projects. Thank you. Are there others? All right, go ahead, Mr. Brown. And obviously, I wanted to make a statement to you explain myself. I, in the same fashion, I think it's a, it looks like a great project. It's just in the wrong place. Uh, and and I, I hope that we as a, a board here can come together with our staff and have a better understanding of what we believe our citizens expect, and we will work toward that end. Thank you. All right. Are there others? All right. Again, Thank you very much for bringing this um, to us. And of course, to those who have participated in this process, I just want to say, uh, please know that uh, in regard to emails and things of that nature, that we really do listen. We, we hear you. Um, please know that there's not ever any malicious intent in regard to anything that uh, we're attempting to do on behalf of our city. I believe that uh, Mr. Lewis made it quite clear uh, that um, we don't get to see all of the maybe seven or 800 uh, of these proposals uh, that come forward. But uh, please know, I live in that area myself, and um, I too uh, believe that uh, it is not the right location for that area. But again, thank you very much. Please know that um, uh, we, we serve al alongside of you. We're right there with you, and we're not boogeymen and women. So I just want to make that real clear. <laughs> because I've got some boogeyman emails, all right? So I wanna, all right, so please cast your vote. All right, and thank you. The motion carries 7-0. That project will not be happening at that location. All right. All right, council, we're going to, uh, if you all don't mind, we're going to make another uh, just adjustment at this time. All right, this concerns the batch plant. All right. Or not. <laughs> Where's Larry? <clears throat> I think they don't care. They missed it. All right, council, we're going to uh, move item 23-5729 from new business. Going to um, bring it forward at this time. There was a concern uh, regarding that from our, our constituents. And it is a discussion and possible action to update zoning ordinance 155.099, special conditions, item 23 regarding temporary batch plants. And Mr. Lewis, thank you very much for bringing this forward. I will. Um, I wanted to thank 
my council colleagues for unanimous support in putting this on the agenda uh, for discussion and consideration. Um, obviously, there are a couple of factors anytime we have any ordinances involved, especially one that involves TCEQ. And so the legal updates are um, probably driving the majority of the ordinances related to that. So I wanted to ask our city attorney to give us an update on what authority we would have as a governing body um, in relation to temporary batch plants when there's TCEQ permits involved. Very well. Excellent. Yeah, and it, certainly this is an issue that's a, a real issue, something to be of concern. Um, it, the Kind of the, to set the stage, right, the state has adopted the Clean Air Act, and within that statute includes regulations for concrete batch plants. Um, since they've adopted those regulations, we've seen those tested in the courts. So we've seen cities adopt regulations specifically pointed at concrete batch plants. And we've seen the Supreme Court rule several times on what are permissible at the, the local level with regard to those regulations. Uh, in, in three ways, they've, they've shown that the, a city's local regulation authority is quite limited. Right? First, they, they've held that, which is clearly, pretty clearly laid out in the statute, that the city can't make illegal an action or a use or activity that the state has already permitted and, and authorized. So if there's a TCEQ permit that has been granted and issued for a batch plan operation, according to the statute, we are not as a, a city allowed to adopt an ordinance or enforce an ordinance that would make their operation illegal. That's a, a really big limitation on our authority. In addition to that, they have held that the, the Clean Air Act preempts local regulation of concrete batch plants that is not consistent with state law. So how does that mean? Effectively, exactly what it says, that we can adopt a local regulation, however, it must be consistent, uh, exactly the same as what the, the state regulations are for those plants. Um, the next thing would be that it, it, they took it even further, and this was, again, tested in the courts, in that what we would often do in that situation is that we would locally adopt an ordinance so that the, we can then have local enforcement of that ordinance. It gives us more control in that manner to be able to enforce it. However, the Clean Air Act also includes an enforcement procedure, and the Supreme Court has ruled that to operate outside of that is also preempted. So what that means is any enforcement of the regulations of a, a concrete batch plant would have to be referred to TCEQ, where they would be reviewed and considered, and then only at the recommendation of TCEQ can we then pursue any kind of criminal enforcement, which is our main authority, right? Under the ordinance, we can uh, pursue a criminal uh, violation and enforcement when they violate those rules. We, can own, we only have authority to do that with regard to a concrete batch plant after the TCEQ is ruled that criminal enforcement is appropriate. So in those three ways, our ability to regulate and even enforce the rules that govern concrete batch plant operations are extremely limited. Um, I, that's kind of the, the framework of where we are, what we can do. I'll say that our existing ordinance right now is adopted to be consistent so that the rules that we have set out to be consistent with what, with what were in place under the state guidelines for a temporary batch plant operation. Uh, I do think it could be worthwhile to take a look to make sure uh, that we are continue, that we do continue to be consistent with those regulations, uh, even considering more recent legislative changes. Um, so in that way, we could take a look and, and um, pursue that. Uh, with that, I guess I'll, I'll be happy to answer any other specific questions or? 
Go ahead, Mr. Lewis, and then Ms. Bounds. So my, my specific request on this before I knew this information was that we increase the setback requirements um, that it's currently set at 300 feet. I've, I've asked that we could increase that and also um, to get it out of a, a having to ask the Zoning Board of Adjustments for approval that it, it would become to the City Council for approval so that the public could be notified, all of those things. Um, but our state legislature has approved the Clean Air Act, which preempts any of our authorities in that regard. So if TCEQ has issued a permit for something in place, we could, even if we had a process where they came to us and we publicly notified, we can't turn it down because TCEQ is the regulating authority. It, that's correct. And I, I heard a reference earlier that you, know, that you need to take more action and accountability. And I know that you would all love to do that. Unfortunately, based on your, your request, right, that we look at how can we further regulate this, but unfortunately, it really is, after they've issued the permit, you really don't have that authority to step in and change PCQ's the course. PCEQ's statute very clearly says 300 feet from a resident control is the approved setback for, for their end. That's correct. And TCEQ doesn't look at, okay, but there's a temporary batch plant a half mile away that this project could work at if it, if it passes TCEQ standards and they issue a permit, we do not have regulating authority. Our ordinances essentially just exist in case that they violate any of that. It gives us some authority to turn them over to TCEQ and TCEQ has 45 days to get back to us that they've violated and then gives us permission, right? That's right, yeah. The, the, the biggest impact of our ordinance is that we have some, some way to identify that it's, it's going to be there, assuming it's permitted at the state level. Okay, thank you. All right, Ms. Bounds. So for the public, um, since TCEQ is the final permitting authority, what do the citizens have as far as um, recourse, if you will, on nuisances? So when there's noise, there's dust, when there's those, uh, when they're not uh, operating during the hours of operation that were permitted by TCEQ, what recourse do they have? Well, it, that's, that's a really good question. Generally, those types of nuisance fall squarely within our regulatory authority, and we could pursue those. I, we, we have ordinances in place that, that typically we could address those things, and yet, because of this particular operation, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't have authority to, to enforce those against this, these operations. So in this case, that probably the best thing that could be done is to report environmental concerns to the TCEQ. They have a, a submission, uh, electronic submission opportunity on their website where they can make those things known to the TCEQ. Uh, I, I, if anybody's dealt with uh, a state agency and commission in that way, um, I, I, I'm not going to guarantee to you right now that you're going to get a, the, the fastest and an immediate result. But to make them aware of the issues that you're experiencing can only make us that more likely to get some kind of a response, if not in this immediate time, hopefully at least in the future. So that would be the best way to try to get uh, a result or response. And then finally, with our permitting system that Nelson. we have, um, it would be in our best interest to make sure that any permitting um, documents or any ways that we permit would be also in line with TCEQ. So an applicant comes, presents us with a TCEQ uh, authorization, and we are to grant, because I'm hearing you say we are to grant that permission because they have a permit from TCEQ. 
would our permit not mimic the same thing or um, have the criteria in it that that applicant must meet as it did on the TCEQ application? It, it certainly could. Yeah, the, the, the only, you could make that as, as detailed and um, intensive as desired with the criteria, the limiting criteria being that we couldn't exceed what's required at the state level. Go ahead, Mr. Newsom. Yeah, one thing um, I definitely would like staff to look into if uh, the rest of the council agrees is that we figure out a way that we can at least be better proactively notifying our citizens of when these permits requests come in. Uh, at least one that gives uh, pr probable uh, affected citizens the ability to notify, uh, in this case, TCEQ is the um, agency, the governing agency ultimately in these types of projects. And so at least going forward, we have a process in place that allows uh, those notifications to become, you know, more um, at least proactive in those announcements. Uh, secondarily, I just encourage our citizens, you know, when we don't have an ability to affect these types of projects that when you do and if you do uh, notify the Governing agency again in this case TCEQ not only do you notify them, but you also copy your state senator and uh, Representative along with that so that they are also aware of the local concerns because we are not the only ones that represent you uh, There are state representatives that have a lot more impact on these types of uh, Situations than we do. So thank you Go ahead miss short. I Wanted to ask our attorney do they have to get a permit approval from the city before they can proceed? If we have a, a permitting process that's adopted that is authorized, it's appropriate under the law, they, they would need to come and, and obtain a permit from us um, to, to operate within the jurisdiction. So we can require that. Uh, the, the enforcement mechanism is, is probably the trickiest part. Um, that's why I'm asking because it seems like if they submit a permit and we approve it, it's like we're we're okay with it, we're complicit with it when we honestly can't do anything about it. So it it seems ridiculous to even have the permit. Sure, and again, I think that the biggest the biggest plus to having the permit is that you're aware is the notice that then you you get directly. Uh, of that operation and, and the, the ability to gain some information as uh, Councilman Bounds uh, suggested that that permit process could require them to submit similar information to what they provided to the state so that we have access to that as well. Um, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, based on the structure that the state has set up, the effectiveness of our permitting process is very limited. Okay, thank you. All right. Mayor, Thank you very much. So, Mayor, may I, may I ask a clarifying question? Yeah, please, go Bradley, ahead. based on state law, um, would it be reasonable as part of our permitting process to notify any residents within the 300 foot as they've specified that? And it, would that be something city council would be um, agreeable to adopting, knowing that if it came to you, there's your hands are tied and we're preempted, but uh, we, would it be reasonable and or within the bounds of state law to at least notify those residents so they're aware of that? Certainly, that would be acceptable. Yeah, I mean, basically, Matt, that's what I was asking for. Um, and, and I think for us to, you know, at least gauge where those are, I think even though we don't really have the ability to ultimately 
affect a permit approval or denial uh, at the state level that at least gives us a process to help monitor those applications and then we can at least uh, like uh, Ms. Bounds had requested have those permits to include all the information that was submitted at the state level so at least we have it at our um, local knowledge to be able to communicate that information to our citizens if they request it. That's good, yeah. All right. I'm going to ask I'm going to ask our attorney if, if you would uh, explain uh, the term preemption, and and then I, I would like to say something about that because oftentimes we talk about it, but people don't know exactly what that is. Would you would you explain what preemption means, sir? Of course, Mayor. So preemption is essentially a means that the state has taken action in in. Could be a couple different ways to limit or override the authority of a lower government. Um, the, the state could do that in the sense, generally speaking, let me just, I guess, to go through it all, generally speaking, as a home rule municipality, you have authority to do whatever the state has not said you can't do. And so when, when they preempt your specific authority, they typically, it looks like a, a law that they pass that says the city or local government cannot regulate this or cannot do this specific thing. Uh, and oftentimes that's accompanied by the adoption of regulations or rules for that specific thing that the state wants to have in place. That's exactly what the Clean Air Act does. It, it sets out what the state believes are the proper regulations for the concrete batch plants and it, attached to that they've adopted a specific provision that says cities you can't do anything that's not consistent with this and to go take it to that next level that we don't often see you can't do anything that would make unlawful something that we authorize. Right. That's how that occurs. So, so when we say uh, on, on the local level, municipalities in particular, when we say that we need the help of our fellow constituents to make a whole lot of noise when someone is wanting to preempt uh, the authority of a, a local municipality, <clears throat> excuse me, what we're, what we're asking is to, to help us advocate with us so that we can retain local control. That's exactly what that is. Uh, because what we, I believe that um, we are agreeing to tonight is that we will work real hard to make sure that individuals who live within the 300 feet boundary or what have you, that they will be um, notified to, to uh, what uh, TECQ uh, wants to do. Then at the same time, so that so that the listening audience is not, um, you know, fooled at all. It, it would still mean, though, that as it concerns our authority to stop them from doing what they want to do is limited almost to zero. Am I right? That's correct. All right. Thank you very much. So, but, Council, I do think that uh, together uh, we um, are agreeing to the fact that uh, uh, we can we can add this particular provision to our uh, process. All right. Okay. Did Go ahead, sir. Go ahead, Ms. Lewis. Did we need to take any action, or is it just generally understood, that, and we'll come back, that we need to update our existing ordinances to reflect the TCEQ guidelines? Good question. Do we need to take action for that, or is it understood by staff, and it'll come back in the future? Okay. Um, to that point, I, I do want to draw attention to our ordinance today does, in regard to the timeline, does not follow TCEQ guidelines 
for permitting. What does the TCEQ guideline uh, permit allow for? Generally, the, the permit from TCEQ would allow for 180 days. I believe the term of this one is for the project that's at hand or 180 days, however, however that plays out in this particular circumstance. So our ordinance is in conflict with state TCEQ in that sense. So we will need to update our ordinances to reflect what TCEQ allows for. Thank you. And let me let me also defer to our city manager. You want to regard the guidance on this, Joe, please. Yeah, thanks, Mayor. I, th yes, I think sir. the not just the citizens, but the council's made it crystal clear that we'd like a process in place that has us, as soon as we get notification, notify our residents uh, within 300 feet. Do we want to use 300 feet? We want to use a different number. What I'm hearing is 300 feet because that mimics what state. the state, state does. Well, to that point, nobody is going to be within the 300 feet. So when we draw the circle at 300 feet on it, no resident will fall in line. We, so We talked about that. I think what we would propose is bring back what mimics our zoning ordinance, which is 250 feet from the property. Uh, that way we already have that kind of built in to, to our mailers and our systems uh, that would be readily available to use in that circumstance. I got you. Right. All right. And not only our... And, and Ms. Short is making a point, and it is very important. Uh, we want to make sure that we're notified as well, so that when we get the phone calls, we need to make sure that we, we are aware. Okay? So thank you all very much. All right. Staff, thank you, and we appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. And, and we want to thank our citizenry for bringing this point forward. And thank you, Ms. Bounds and uh, Mr. Lewis, for your hard work. Appreciate it. All right. Get back on track here. Thank you all very much. All right, we'll, we'll go to our subcommittee reports under item number 13, ladies and gentlemen, 23-5693. Some minutes approval of the October 23rd, 2023 local transportation issue subcommittee uh, meetings. And uh, this vote will, again, be only by members of the subcommittee. Mr. Lewis is our chair, and I defer now to him. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, yes, sir. The subcommittee did meet on October 23rd at 11 a.m., uh, and we discussed two things. The first was an update on our transportation alternatives analysis. Uh, as council knows, we uh, submitted a study several months back to review some additional um, alternatives to the capital improvement plan that would increase connectivity and intersection flow throughout the city. Um, that obviously needed to be studied uh, as they were going through the reprioritization of what all of those things look like. Uh, we spent a considerable amount of time discussing East Broad right at 360 and whether or not it uh, needs to be widened to six lanes uh, from Cannon moving toward 360. Um, staff and the uh, contractor have put together a rough sketch drawing of that and it it did turn out that by the time you put the turn lanes in and the different movement things you're pretty much at six lanes all the way through there anyway so um, reducing that and just trying to fix the intersection itself didn't make a lot of sense so that is a big one and then also some discussion regarding the Matlock Bridge as well as the connection uh, at Holland over by Philip Thompson uh, Sports Complex um, so all of those have uh, have been studied. They are wrapping up that report this month and that should be coming before council relatively soon. I do see a, under staff comments that there's a, a grant update or a street projects update. So there may be some information coming this evening even. Um, the second thing we talked about was uh, 
discussion regarding the uh, capital improvement plan um, and uh, specifically a tool that uh, the engineering department has put forward that's very similar to what we have on our development projects map that shows what's happening around the city. There's a new tool that is out that will show us exactly what road project, what year, and what phase of the cycle it's in from design all the way through funding um, and when that'll be complete. And it's, it's pretty cool. It gives updates. So on site, the inspectors can take pictures and update our public. It'll be public facing so they can see what road projects are coming and when. So that was it. And then we adjourned. All right. Thank you. Any other uh, committee members? All right. Good. Any questions for the chair? All right. I'll call for a motion. Motion to approve. Thank you, Ms. Brown. Second. Thank you, Mr. Tenor. All right. And that item carries, 3-0. Thank you very much. All right, item 23-5694. Minutes approval of the October 23rd tax increment reinvestment zone number two board meeting minutes. And uh, again, uh, the vote will only be taken by members of the subcommittee. Ms. Bounds is the chair. Thank you, Mayor. Um, the TERS 2 board met on October the 23rd to discuss new business that included Discussion, consideration, and possible action to approve an economic development agreement with NAC development. Um, we had discussions with that. Um, Mr. Moore presented us with the item and we discussed the t uh, deal points and he answered all of our questions. A motion was made by board member Evans to approve the economic development agreement with NAC development as presented and seconded by board member Newsom, and the motion carried unanimously. Our second area of discussion was consideration and possible action to approve an amendment to the contract of sale and the TERS reimbursement agreement with HGRC Mansfield. Again, Jason Moore presented the item, discussed the proposed amendments, and answered our questions. A motion was made by Board Member Evans to approve the amendment to the contract of sale and TERS reimbursement agreement with HGRC Mansfield as presented, and then it was seconded by Board Member Short. The motion carried unanimously. And then finally, we had discussion and consideration and possible action to approve an economic development agreement with Oak Hollow LTD. Now, at this discussion, it was just Jason Moore presented the item, and we discussed the deal points and answered questions, but there were no vote taken at the time uh, because we had asked for more information. Those were the three items that we discussed during that meeting, and if any of the other board chairs would like to um, add to any of that. Any other comments? All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Madam Chair. Appreciate it. All right. Call for a motion. Motion to approve. Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. Thank you, Mr. Newsom. Please cast your votes. And that motion carries for zero. Thank you very much. All right. Item 23-5695 minutes. Approval of the October 23rd, 2023 tax increment reinvestment zone number one board meeting minutes. And our chair is Mr. Brosh. 
Thank you, Mayor. Yes, sir. We can, uh, the uh, TERS board, uh, reinvestment board number one, uh, we convened on October 23rd at 1230. Uh, all members were present except for the uh, Tarrant County uh, representative. And uh, there was discussion, possible action regarding a TERS reimbursement agreement with IPRR South Point dash nine LLC. This is phase nine of the South Point uh, uh, development. Assistant City Manager Matt Jones presented the item, spoke on the financial request, conceptual master plan of the project and phasing plan, the reimbursement for the extension of Matlock Road and the cost that staff recommends during, uh, recommends reimbursing and not reimbursing. There was discussion regarding the approximate $8.9 million that was requested uh, during which time that uh, Matt answered those questions. The uh, board ended up uh, approving uh, $6.581,680.23, so just over 6.5 from the 8.9 that was requested. And uh, so uh, board member Bounds uh, moved to approve this reimbursement and uh, it was seconded by board member Evans and the motion was approved unanimously. That's right. it. Thank, Thank you, you Mr. Chairman. All right, any questions in that regard for our chair? Any other statements needing to be made? All right. Thank you very much. I'm calling for a motion there. Motion to approve. Thank you, Ms. Bounds. Is there a second? Second. Okay, Mr. North. Thank you, sir. All right. Hearing no questions, please cast your votes. All right. Item carries four. Zero. Thank you very much. All right, we move now to item 11, staff comments. Mr. Smolinski, do we have any comments, sir? We do, Mayor. We have several. All right. I'd ask, I think Dustin is coming up first for an update on hometown holidays. Yes, sir. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Dustin Daly, Communications and Public Affairs Manager for the city. Um, it's an honor to be in front of you tonight to invite you, the lovely people in the audience, and everyone watching at home to our hometown holidays next month through January. We're going to kick off the holiday season here in Mansfield on December 1st at 5 p.m. with our traditional tree lighting and not-so-traditional drone show. Um, December 1st, 5 p.m. at The Lot. Um, we, other than that, we have 40 events with the city, our Far Best Theater community partners, and our cultural arts partners as well. So we hope you join us. Um, but don't take my word for it. Let's roll the video here. Thank you.
Good job. <clears throat> I want to thank um, Joe Smolinski for being the Santa Claus hand. <laughs> appreciate him. Well, right. I appreciate you for not saying the Santa Claus belly. Uh, I appreciate you <laughs> much, at least. Uh, I'm going to ask Raymond Kaufman to come down and talk about Active Transportation Safety Plan Grant. He's also going to give us a street projects update, which is pretty, uh, pretty impressive. Good evening, Mayor, Council. Yes, just want to start tonight uh, with our update on this Active Transportation Safety Plan. We applied for a grant uh, almost, well, it's been several months ago, but we talked about it about a year ago. So our active, uh, active transportation, certainly for our community, is anything but uh, vehicular travel, so planning for those pedestrians and bicyclists. Uh, this is a project that it's uh, basically a culmination, as you can see there by the graphic, of bringing together all of our other uh, plan so we have a bicycle master plan uh, we'll bring that as part of a bicycle and pedestrian plan certainly to take uh, what's been talked about and concluded with this future land use plan bring that into any applicable policies and updates just in general mobility uh, it'll produce a safety uh, plan for all these uh, modes around the city and then a probably half of this project will actually be I did, or creating an ADA transition plan for the city. And so all of those things basically culminate to, to make this document uh, that will just be this guiding document of all these different topics. So this was submitted uh, for, uh, through TxDOT for federal funding as part of their transportation alternatives program. So we did get this grant. Uh, we really appreciate the hard work that went into that. Uh, staff, both David Bosky uh, from our end technically, but uh, Edlyn Chavez, our grants coordinator, she put this through and crossed all the T's and dotted the I's and for a federal grant, that's a lot. And so that got us this funding. So we anticipate this project uh, to be $686,000 is what we submitted, and it's an 80-20 uh, match. So our portion right there will be the 137200 and that grant is the remaining almost $550,000. And like I said, a large portion of that will get us a, a complete uh, ADA transition plan that will be our guiding document of how to uh, remove a lot of those barriers uh, for the future uh, to meet our uh, ADA requirements. So what you see there is a just a basic schedule by quarters. We will uh, start procuring this next year for a consultant and we'll work our way through 25. It's a long process. And to just touch on all of those uh, basic elements. So here's what we had uh, shown you before going through this. Our consultant, uh, this is their approach basically to get the existing conditions around the city. Uh, then we'll do a public engagement phase of understanding what's important to our citizens. And then we will have meetings to set our goals and priorities for the plan. And then go into phase two, basically the analyses for those modes of transportation, addressing the safety, and then uh, producing this ADA transition plan. And then finally, uh, 
talking about the funding and the prioritization of those projects and trying to put together an action plan and then develop that all into a final report. So does anyone have any questions? All right, on my left, on my right. All right, outstanding. And then, like Joe said, second of all, we just wanted to talk about an update on our uh, street projects. We have several tonight on the consent agenda. Uh, so we just wanted to uh, bring those up just to talk about them a little bit because they are uh, some critical projects. Uh, this first one is Heritage Parkway uh, over in just east of 360, uh, running from Lone Star up north across the railroad to National Parkway. This will be part of the uh, Harvest Point property that will ultimately be our stadium project, and this will be the eastern boundary, but that will get that uh, connection across the railroad and that realignment uh, as far as that project will be a, a four-lane roadway. And then another project, we have reconstruction of our residential streets. Uh, we have two, two streets and one project, uh, which ultimately is about a half a mile of reconstruction, uh, both for pavement conditions and taking a look at uh, drainage issues that are going on. So reconstructing Fort Worth Street from Walnut Creek Drive to Kings Way, and then a portion of Live Oak Drive from Dayton down to Fort Worth, and that will be complete street reconstruction with sidewalks. Uh, included as part of that project. And then this is an asphalt reconstruction project of portion of Mansfield Country Estates. Uh, all of the rest of the streets were included in a previous uh, contract or, or part of the funding. And this is basically our agreement with Tarrant County. Uh, they will be doing this project as part of the um, as part of their reconstruction program. So we will be reconstructing all of the streets within Mansfield Country Estates. And then lastly on here, I have just one of the street operations projects well aware of that we're going to be, they're going to be doing an asphalt overlay on Debbie, uh, just east of Walnut Creek Drive to just west of Matlock Road. And that will be uh, contracted and upcoming soon. So basically, I just wanted to show a map of all of our projects. These orange color, I don't have the key on here, but the orange colors on there are projects that we have pending that have been funded and they've been waiting for design. So that's what you've seen over the last six months. We've continued to bring project after project, taking those to blue, getting those into design. So you see the Matlock turn lanes, the East Broad 360, uh, the Lone Star Road down there on the south, the railroad crossing, there's lots of projects. So with these three, that'll take the Mansfield Country Estates, uh, the, the uh, Fort Worth and Live Oak, and the uh, Heritage Parkway. So we'll have just a handful of, of projects from the 23 that we're still getting out. But we've progressed all these to design, and we have the Holland and Daymeyer under construction. And then we have several of these that are getting closer to construction, Gertie Barrett, and then the 157 connector this next year, and we'll start bringing these forward to construction. So just wanted to just, just touch on that and to uh, Councilman Lewis's point earlier, the East Broad uh, 360 layout that you uh, talked about in the subcommittee, we should have that. We're getting a preliminary report this week 
And so our intention is to take that, uh, bring that to the December council meeting to have that uh, both as a uh, basically a, a, a workshop to, to show that intersection, show the layout like we talked about finalized, but also to bring a contract with Kimley Horn. If we're all uh, ha agree on that scope, we'll take that and move that on into design and get on into final design. And so that would be that would be the intention with that and the other projects you talked about and we'll have all the costing and, and prioritization and be able to discuss that. So whether we do that in another subcommittee meeting or, or work session with council, certainly certainly up to you. So I'll be happy to answer any any questions you have. All right. Mr. Newsom, you have a question? Yeah, Ram, could you refresh my memory? Um, I guess I don't really know back when it started, but the Debbie Lane median open opening. Where is that located exactly? That is the between the driveways there at the Kroger Shopping Center and the Walmart neighborhood market on the south side. That is going to. Uh, oh, that's the one we're going to put up the turning. Yes, it's going to similar like yeah, it's going to limit left club. turns okay. out, yeah. but it'll be fully done in concrete. Okay. All right. Are there any others? To my right. <clears throat> to my left. All right, Ms. Smolinski. Thank you, Raymond. Appreciate it. I know council made it a, an absolute priority to work on transportation projects this year. So we'll probably ask you to come give us updates regularly, but thank you. Appreciate the work you and all your team are doing out there. So thank you. Thank you. And then mayor, we just have one, one more that we've uh -huh. added to the list. Uh, but uh, Troy is going to talk to you a little bit about certificates of obligation. So I'll ask Troy a couple questions. Are you aware of a video that's out there, a conversation between the two of us? Yes, sir. Where, we, talk, where we talked about how you could not use COs uh, at, to build City Hall. Correct. You remember that? Were we lying? No, sir, we were not. Okay, so if I told you today you can use COs to build a City Hall, would I be lying? No, sir, you would not. Why don't you tell us why? So, uh, as they say, when things go on the internet, they never die, right? So Joe's referring to a video that uh, we discussed, and it was in January of 2022. At that time, as was stated, certificates of obligation could not be used uh, for a variety of activities. Um, we specifically noted in that conversation that CEOs could not be noted or used for a city hall and an animal shelter at that time. House Bill 4082, uh, this legislative session was taken up. Uh, you can see there on the screen, it was signed by the governor on June 18th, became effective on September 1st. Um, in that House Bill, it added a section of public work, and then Section 2 provides the definition of public work. Uh, there are all the various things now that can be used for certificates of obligation, uh, which council votes on and has voted on already uh, to use. And so I've highlighted uh, in green, trying to make it quite obvious there, an administrative office building housing the governmental functions of, an, of the municipality or county. Um, as you can see underneath there, there's also animal shelter. If you recall, when you voted on the notice of intents earlier this year, uh, and we've had uh, bond rating calls already, we are borrowing money this year to finish building or to start to build, shouldn't say finish, to start to build uh, a new animal shelter here in town. Um, that's been very transparent throughout the whole process. 
Any other questions, Mr. Smolensky? Okay. Any questions from council? Anyone else? Anyone have any questions, statements they'd like to make? All right. Thank you. I hope that clears that up. <laughs> All righty then. All right. Uh, moving right along. Item 12, we know that there is no action pursuant to executive session, or is it? Thank you, ma'am. All right, moving on to uh, item uh, number 13, 23-5657, ordinance uh, public hearing, first and final reading of an ordinance amending chapter 155 of the uh, Mansfield Code of Ordinance zoning to create a new section 155.057, Neighborhood design standards and related development regulations. Mayor. Yes, sir. I'd like to make a motion to table this until the next meeting and that we would have a work session on this item at the next meeting prior to the council meeting. Second. All right. It's been motion and second. I'm going to ask the young man to come back and since, uh, come, come on back. Don't get you. You don't get away like that. So Thought you were out of here. Let, let me let me uh, carry this vote forward and then we'll hear from you. At least see you, wave at you or something. You got your tie on, you look nice. We may as well say something. All right. All right. Motion to table carries seven zero. All right, mighty fine. Who do we have standing in front of us? Thank you, Mayor. Uh, good evening. I'm Jordan Drumville. I am the Planning and Development Services Analyst. Um, I started off as an intern and I was officially brought on into this part-time position in April. So I've been working since then part-time. All right, mighty fine. All right, y'all have any questions? We don't want, do we want to haze the guy? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. Welcome to the team. Thank so, you. Thank you. Glad said. to be here. All right, look forward to serving with you. All righty then. All right, moving right along <laughs> in regard to uh, uh, public hearing. All right, public hearing number... 15, 23-5669, ordinance, public hearing, continuation, second and final reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from uh, PR pre-development district to S South Mansfield form based development district on approximately 108.16 acres, generally located west of Heritage Parkway South at the northeast corner of State Highway 360 and Lone Star Road and south of Lone Star Road on property addressed at 3601, 3603, and 3797 Lone Star Road and 700 Heritage Parkway South, City of Mansfield, owners owning case number 23-021. Mr. Rodriguez. As stated, this is a rezoning for the property that we are now calling the stadium property. Yes, sir. Uh, this is about 108 acres, and it's going to the South Mansfield Form-Based Development District. Staff does have a presentation that we can run through, yes, but sir. as it was stated, this is the second hearing, so if council so chooses, we can uh, forego All that. right. Let me gauge the wishes of council. <laughs> to my left, council, would you all like to see this? Okay. All right. To my right? All right. Thank you, sir. All righty then, I will continue public hearing at 7.56 p.m. Ms. Marine, do we have any cards, ma'am? All right, I will close the public hearing at 7.56 p.m. and call for a motion. 
Move to approve. Second. Okay, th thank you, Mr. Bross and Ms. Bounds. All right, please cast your votes. That item carries 7-0. Thank you all very much. All right, moving to item 23-5707. It's an ordinance. Public hearing, continuation of second and final reading on an ordinance approving a change of zoning from PR, Pre-Development District, and C2 Community Business District to S South Mansfield Farm-Based Development District on approximately 70.897 acres, generally located on the northwest corner of U.S. Highway 287 and St. Paul Road on property addressed at 3571 St. Paul Road, uh, Hanover Property Company, applicant zoning case number 23-022. All right, sir. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, yes, this is the rezoning associated with Somerset Village. Uh, this is also going to the South Mansfield Form-Based Development District. Yes, um, this was heard during our earlier uh, public hearing, so I can go through the presentation if Council chooses. All right. It's the wishes of the Council. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you, you all can shake your heads really fast. I see that. All right. Mighty fine. So then I will continue the uh, public hearing at 7.57 p.m. Ms. Marine, do we have any cards, man? All righty then. I will close the public hearing at 7.57 p.m. and call for a motion. Motion to approve. Thank you, Ms. Short. Second. All right. It's a tie, Ms. Bounds. All right. Please cast your votes. And then motion carries 7-0. All right. We're under new business, item 23-5638, a resolution, resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, authorizing issuance of a request for qualifications for architectural design services for a city hall, finding that the meeting at which uh, this resolution is passed is open uh, to the uh, public as required by law and declaring an effective date. Mr. Jones. Thank you, Mayor, City Council. Uh, this is just a authorization to uh, notify staff to move forward with an RFQ for architectural design services at City Hall. Uh, we'll work through the City Secretary's office to post this on the website uh, and offer uh, to re receive those qualifications from the different architectural firms. Uh, it is our anticipation that given the holiday season uh, that we would like to have a the design firm um, identified and chosen towards the end of, or the beginning beginning of the uh, new calendar year, so probably the first couple weeks of January uh, for a timeline, we would like to have a, a firm selected for this service. So happy to answer any questions you may have. All right. On my right, any questions? On my left? So, Matt, when do you there anticipate you we could? I'm sorry. Did no, you? I'm saying thank you, Larry. So when could we anticipate hearing from, uh, from you or one of your staff regarding what you've come up with. Right. We'll, we'll work with city secretary's office to come up with a calendar on that. Uh, we would like to leave it open in ample time and then also during the holiday season allow for ample time for them to respond and set up interviews if so chosen. Uh, so we do anticipate um, probably your first meeting in January uh, to bring that forward. Thank you. All right. All right. Any others? Mayor. I do have a few yes, questions. Yes, sir. Go ahead, Mr. Lewis. 
Mr. Smolinski, roughly how many people work in this building today? Gosh, um, over 50. Well over that. I'd have to count. I'd have to, I'd have to count, That's, Mr. Lewis. I should have given you a heads up. I was going to ask the question. Yeah, let, me, let me start with this. So trying to count heads I, in my I, mind. I heard Councilman Brosh say a, a while back, you know, when this building was originally funded and started in 1998, is when this building was uh, was said, yeah, let's go ahead, and it was built in 2002. There was literally not a house east of Matlock, and nothing north of Debbie. Um, and at that time, uh, Mr. Chandler, our city manager, said that this building would serve the needs of the city for 20 years. That was in 1998 to 2002 sure. time time frame. Um, Mr. Smolenski, I, I was elected first to the city council in 2018, and uh, in in one of those first meetings, what was the uh, what was the very first you know, capital meeting? What did we discuss? City hall. Um, Actually, the police headquarters. We talked about whether or not to renovate city hall and turn that into police headquarters and move city hall. Yeah, um, that was. Were you the city manager at the time? No. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, no. <laughs> were uh, several members of this council uh, there at that time? No, no, not really, just a couple. Okay. Uh, Julie, Fun. I think Julie and I had one meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, like we were here fresh. Um, so this has been, a, from my seat, at least a five-year discussion of, hey, it's an inevitability at some point that we've got to do something at City Hall um, that someday our city is going to be 120,000 or 130,000 people. Obviously, as you go from when I was elected, 70,000 people to now we're at 83,000 people. Um, at, at some point, you're increasing your staff count to serve those people, and they also take up office space, and they, they need things. Um, have we, over that five-year period, Mr. Smolenski, have we made modifications to this building to allow for that expansion? Yes, we've made multiple modifications to offices, split offices, built conference rooms okay. out of open space, stuff like that. Yes, we've, we've made modifications to the building. Okay. At some point, we are out of modifications that we can make and we have to increase square footage, right? Of course. So the plan 20 plus years ago was that we would build right behind us here and, and increase the square footage to do that. Um, but as we start started looking into the cost of constructing back here versus constructing it at a, at a new site, um, we started also weighing out, you know, if we spend 20 plus million dollars to expand out behind us, does our tax base increase a dime if we spend 20 million dollars behind us to accommodate the, the growth of our city? No, it would remain non-tax base doesn't property. do anything, right? right. So if we spend money in a TERS in central Mansfield as part of a mixed-use development in the reserve, does our infrastructure and different things that we put in there catalyze any development there that would increase the tax base? It's my belief that it absolutely does. The reserve is roughly how much of a tax value, Mr. Jones? Today? Or that we think it will be at, at build-out. Oh, it, it's it's a B number. Uh, it'll be between one and two billion dollars. Okay. So, 
We can spend $20 million to expand out the back and not increase our tax base at all, or we can go over to the reserve in a TERS where the revenue from the, the, the development that takes place in there actually pays the debt payment on the, on the building, and we catalyze and we increase the tax base by over a billion dollars. So, I mean, it, as we started working through all that, it just became a no-brainer that it, you can't do a sunk cost behind here to expand. We know we've got to expand City Hall. Um, where is the obvious place to, to do that? We talked about downtown, but developable land in downtown, would we really want to put a non-taxable asset in our historic downtown on the very limited land that's left? And that didn't make sense. So it, it made sense to go to the reserve and help catalyze this type of project that you see on the screen in front of you. Um, and then ultimately, we were able to, we still have this beautiful building that's 20 years old. We had to figure out something to do with it. The exchange with the school district made a lot of sense because they need administrative space and they're never gonna be able to pass a bond to approve administrative construction. So now they get to use those funds to be able to pour into their classrooms without having to worry about administrative space. And we've talked with the school district at length of the benefits they're gonna get from from this space. So I think all around the, the plan has been in motion for 20 years that sometime around 2025, 2026, 2027, something has to happen at this location for for city administration. And we've reviewed all of the plans and I think I think we're on the right path. So good work to staff, good work to council. Um, but I just want to be really clear, this is a five year plus plan in motion that started well before any of the seven of us are sitting up here or anybody that's in our city administration was in their current seats. So, thank you. All right, Ms. Short, then Mr. Smolinski. Hey, um, I'm glad you brought all that up, Councilman Lewis, uh, because when we originally started talking about a new city hall, I was a no on that, if you'll remember. I thought, no, we can make this work. And I'm telling you, we've we've been inundated with an abundance of data and examples that prove that a town center uh, promotes growth and development. And it, you, when you have all of the facts, it makes the most sense moving forward the way we're moving. And I, you know, I couldn't be prideful and, and try to hang on to my no. I had to turn into a yes because it's undeniable what this will do for that development. Thank you, ma'am. Mr. Smolinski. Ms. Lewis, you asked me a question and I, I said the number more than 50 and I was right. <laughs> um, in 2000, or I'm sorry, in 2022, we had 98 people in this building. And I know everybody's- I was off a little, I was <laughs> off a little. I, I know everybody little. thinks that this is a massive building, but you're sitting in a majority of the square footage that's and you right. look out in the in the foyer and it's a big rotunda that's right. square footage. Um, we have a meeting room over here where staff holds meetings um, or occasionally we have work sessions and different things. But when you get behind the walls, it's wall to wall, a hundred people officing and that was in 2022. Right. What's it gonna be in 2028 and 2030? Because that's, that's the time that we've gotta start thinking about is what over the next 15 years, that's not gonna be 100, that's gonna be 170. I mean, it just is. So we've gotta have a place for those people to office, work, conduct the business of the city. So thank you. All right, good job. Thank you all very much. I will call for a motion. Move to approve. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. Second. Second. Thank you, Ms. Short. Questions? 
Hearing none, please cast your votes. Motion carries 7-0. Thank you all very much. On our way to the future. All right, item 23-5715, a resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, approving the schematic design in accordance with Section 4.1 of the existing Economic Development Agreement with Admiral Legacy, Inc., and declaring an effective date, Mr. Moore. Thank you, Mayor. Good evening, Council. This item, uh, if you recall, was an economic development project that you approved an agreement on uh, earlier this calendar year. And as part of that process, uh, Section 4.1 of our economic development agreement uh, provides that City Council will have the opportunity to approve, consider and approve a schematic design for this development prior to the city actually selling the land and closing on the property and moving into the construction drawings. And so that is the stage we're in today. We're actually a month early uh, per the agreement. And so we've got the developer, uh, Andrew and S.A. Ahi, are here today. Uh, they'll go through their schematic design. And so I'm pleased to introduce them, and I'll be available afterwards for any questions you have. Thank you. Good evening. Esteemed members of the council, city council, the mayor, and the city staff, first of all, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to present this long-awaited vision that goes beyond mere infrastructure. And uh, today I'm thrilled to share the concept uh, that not only defines, uh, the, that not only redefines office des design, but also speak to the heart of a thriving and forward-thinking community, but most importantly, leaders like yourselves. So as you all know, I have shared the vision for uh, the Mansfield Innovation Community as um, a place to build a community where problem solvers can come together and uh, you know, solve, put forces together, put their ideas together and come together to create and discover ventures and work in unprecedented ways. And I'm so excited, I'm sure you can see it on my face and just my team that um, I think we, after working together with the team, we're there. Um, as we delve into the schematic design, one of the things I will tell you for sure is the fact that you, it's more than just bricks and, mort uh, and, and mortar. It's um, about cultivating an environment that fosters collaboration an environment that talks about innovation. And um, most importantly, if there's anything I've heard, you know, with the other projects, it's the community growth. I think this project is spot on about community growth. And I love the idea that you're not only thinking about the city hall for just today, but for down the road. And that's why I call you all forward-thinking leaders. <laughs> and so I'm about to share, what I'm about to share is to reflect it shows extensive research, thoughtful planning, and uh, a vision to create a space that transcends the traditional office layout. Okay? So when we came together, one of the things we talked about was uh, what are our project goals? And so we said the center of innovation a place where we could blend not just working, but also a place where we could have fun. 
a family-friendly destination where there's a park layout there and people can hang out. If you know what the office market is today, no one wants to come to the office if it's not a fun place. And so we talk, we, we, the, the team came together thinking not just aligning with what we think a place would look like, but also what the city is looking forward to doing. So some of the experienced drivers we considered were uh, a blend of walk and fun we also talked about the connected experience, right? Um, in today's world, there's a blur line between work and home, and so we wanted to make sure that it's, the connection is in a real space and time that creates authentic communities, relationship building, because I think that's also critical to people going back to the office. Um, we also wanted to do everything that had, from an experience perspective, is a vibrant environment, right? A place that's energized, where people want to hang out, grab coffee, or talk business, you know, informal settings and formal settings. And so that's what the Mansfield Innovation Community is going to be about. An activated street relies on a robust public realm, you know, that supports varieties of activities. And so that's the activation that we're looking forward to. And um, yeah. So the design strategies were around, you know, promoting play, uh, prioritizing proximity to whether it's walking up the stairs. Um, we just wanted to make sure that it was, everything was critical for creating uh, planned and unplanned encounters that support innovation. And most importantly, all level activation, whether it's street level activation or whether you're on top of uh, the conference rooms, we just wanted to make sure that there was a, a vibrant urban realm that needed the right mix and density on the ground level retail. Like I said, one of the purposes we talked about was a playground for innovation that lives on the blood edge between work and life. The Mansfield Innovation Community, MIC, will foster interpersonal connections in real space and time to allow problem solvers. Come together, like I mentioned, in unprecedented ways. Well, I'm gonna to get to the design right now. So, give me a second. Okay. That's what I love about technology. Let me, let me open this up. Okay. Oh, perfect. No, See, it's not working either. Oh, kind of tired. It's been a long day. Right? It's been a long day. You got to find out where you said. There we go. <laughs> So um, this is the master plan. It hasn't changed. We have uh, office building one, office building two, residential, retail at the bottom, and garage. You're familiar with this design. Jeez. Yes. And this is uh, right here we have the um, Utility master plan. We worked with this, with this planning department to put this together. We all worked collaborative, and so this is what it is. And um, it's the good news is we, we also focused on to kick off phase one, which is uh, we went ahead and just said, okay, 
We did the entire master plan, but let's focus on the office building and let's kick it off. Oh, is this better? Oh, now we're, now we're talking. And this is, uh, so this is, um, are you going to take this? So again, so this is the, um, the, land, the landscape plan for, for the first phase. Um, again, it's, it's, there's a lot of greeneries, and again, the key, the key focus is on the office building, but it's done in such a way that will blend as we roll out the other, the, the other phases. Uh, I'm just gonna skip through this. These were some of the design principles. We looked at a lot of buildings with, ground, with all level activations as a guiding principle. Um, so it's a five-level building. On the first level, um, the ground floor, we've got the amenities. We've got a cafe. Uh, we have, uh, there's going to be a gym, um, conference rooms, and tenants. On the second floor, we're going to have the VentureX co-working. So that's our, we're occupying the entire second floor. Um, really going to drive a lot of um, innovations and professionals and, and vibrancy and businesses. And that will be activated from day one. The third to fifth floors, those are gonna be regular tenants. And you notice that one thing we've also done is just, we've sprinkled in a lot of uh, balconies to really, because coming out of the pandemic, there was a need to have that interaction in terms of the activation, having that interaction with nature, we've really sprinkled balconies around, around this building. So this is the northeast corner, and you can see the, this is what we expect when we open up this place. This is the northeast corner, and this is on um, um, heritage, facing the heritage area. It's just what you're looking at. The northwest uh, corner, yeah. You want to go? Yeah, so the, Again, talking about the activation, you've got a cafe on the ground floor. You have okay. the, the park on the right side. Again, a lot of family-type events. There's activation where people can go in and out of the building. There are balconies sprinkled around. There's greenery sprinkled around. It's really going to drive that vibrancy. And again, if you look at the other side, right on the other side, you've got the residential apartments, right? So the idea is to get families in there to get that kind of live, walk, play, and learn, learn kind of concept. This is really where it comes together. And you notice that the architecture on that end, there are two key touch points. There's the park area that is overseen, seeing the park, you have all that colors, you've got the balconies, the real nice look and feel. And on the other end, you also have the area looking at the Heritage Parkway. We wanted to have two touch points where people driving on Heritage can they've got that wow factor as they look at the building and also the park area. And you'll see that as we go around the building. Uh, the entrance here, it's, again, it's really, it's um, elevated um, uh, uh, lobbies, two floor lobbies, really ground entry. We're gonna have a, a staircase right in as you enter the lobby and that will really enable the vibrancy the VentureX is a very vibrant environment. You have a lot of professionals. So really having the Ventures on the second floor and having that staircase will really build the energies from day one. So we really expect that to be a real vibrant, um, vibrant neighborhood. 
So, and, and not only that, um, with partnership with the EDCs, we're looking at programs we can put in place, you know. Um, it's one thing to have a building, but one of the things that was, that's very important to us is that community building aspect, whether it's programs, partnering with the workforce, uh, we're part of the Mansfield Innovation uh, Group where we talk about who are potential clients that could be in this building, whether it's a research center. So we have all this. We're working with the EDC. They've been very great, the MEDC, they've been very great partners in coming together to getting the right tenant into this, I mean, great city. And this is, uh, this is another, um, you know, perspective that you see. I'm just going to skip through this. This is the northeast corner. These are definitely different views. Right. So one, one other thing to add here is that, again, not the northeast corner, that's the spot that is on the back end. You would see the, there's a, almost a cantilever conference room, and there's a balcony right there. Great view to Heritage Parkway. I mean, that's really going to showcase that building. And again, on this side, we're going to have a restaurant right in front there. So the idea is to have restaurants at the entrance of Regency to drive traffic, yeah. to really get people to say, wow, what's going, what's going on here? Right. So we're really looking at sprinkling those retail at the Regency frontage to get people entering the development here. And this is the southeast corner. And that's going to be the heritage view. Southeast elevation, so it's going to have that view of whether you're in heritage. This is another angle. Another angle. Questions? Thank you so All much. All right, good job. On my left, <clears throat> on my right. All right, we, we are, I am. Quite excited we are, I believe. I can speak for all of us for uh, what is coming our way. Uh, thank you all for a good presentation, and uh, we're just waiting on it to happen, to tell you the truth. And uh, we're anticipating it being one of the best in the country. So um, that's the plan. That's the plan. That, 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 that's, that's our that's hope. A, that's, that's the spirit. That's the, that's that's the goal. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you so much, guys. All right. Appreciate it. All right. I'll call for a motion. Motion to approve. Ms. Bounds. All right, Ms. Short. All right, questions, comments? Hearing none, saying none, please cast your votes. All right, and that item carries 7-0. Item 23-5722. It is a, a resolution of City Council of City of Mansfield, Texas, casting votes. Candidates for the Tarrant Appraisal District Board of Directors for 2024 and 2025 terms, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date. Mr. Lestina. Yes, thank you, Mayor and Council. Uh, if I may, I'm going to address all three of the, uh, this item and the next two items after this. Mm -hmm. They are all four votes for the appraisal boards for the various counties that we are in. The first one before you, as you just read, Mayor, uh, is for the Tarrant Appraisal Board. Uh, the city has 53 votes. Um, while that seems very low, uh, Council Member Newsom and I were looking at it just a little while ago. Every county has 5,000 votes. And so then based on 
uh, the population of the cities and the school districts that are within each uh, county and the county itself. That's kind of how the votes get divided out. Uh, so city of Mansfield actually for the cities has the fourth largest uh, number of votes. Um, as we move down into Ellis County, there's 95 votes. There's 53 votes for uh, Tarrant County. There's 95 votes uh, for Ellis County, uh, for Johnson County. And then there's only five votes for Ellis County, knowing that we are such a uh, small part of that particular county. Uh, with that, Mayor, I will turn it back over to you. Uh, in each of your packets uh, was the ballot and the uh, nominees for each of the various boards. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Mayor. Thank you. Call for a motion. <clears throat> Mayor, I'd like to make a motion for Tarrant County that we cast all 53 votes for Vince Puente. Second. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Mr. Newsom and Mr. Lewis. Second to that. Questions? Yes, sir. Go ahead, Mr. Brosh. Yes. Could you give me the, uh, give me your experience with, with, just based on his, you know, previous experience and what he's done and recommendations from, you know, just other individuals that I've talked to that dealt with him and his attitude towards what uh, he feels the job is for um, Tarrant County Appraisal District and what those individuals are tasked to do. Okay. I'm just wondering uh, uh, the fact that Fort Worth uh, uh, nominated uh, Alan Blaylock. Yeah, I believe he already has enough votes to, for that position. Very good. Thanks. Thank you for the question, sir. All right. Please cast your votes. Thank you, Mr. Newsom. That uh, motion carries, sir. 7-0. All right. Item 23-5726. Again, it's a resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, casting votes for candidates for the Ellis uh, Appraisal District Board of Directors for the 2024 and 2025 terms finding that the meeting in which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date. I'll call for a motion. I don't know if we've Lewis? had any significant discussion or representation. The only name I recognized on the list was John Wood, who I have worked with in the past. Um, are we in Ellis or Johnson? We are in Ellis. Ellis. Excuse me. I'll hold that for Johnson. I, I don't. Do we even have votes, a substantial vote for Ellis? No, we have, uh, you have five votes to give for the Ellis. Five votes in Ellis, yes. and I don't know any of them in, in Ellis County. All right, we can also choose not to do anything. But I just say we don't give a, a yeah, vote. Yeah, we you, choose you can not choose to do anything, not right? to, to vote. Right. That is yeah. up to this board. All right, so uh, I need a motion on that as well. All right, who wants to, who wants to be? Make a motion that we do not cast any votes for Ellis Please County. Second. All right, and Mr. Newsom, thank you. All right, questions? Hearing none, please cast your votes. Now we're on one more vote. Mr. Lewis? Uh, no, I need you to vote, Mr. Lewis. I did. Don't feel bad. I had the macaroni, too. <laughs> All we right. started at 11 today. <laughs> All right, item 23 dash. 5727, a resolution of the City Council of the City of Mansfield, Texas, casting votes for candidates for Johnson County Appraisal District Board of Directors for the 2024-2025 terms, finding that the meeting at which this resolution is passed is open to the public as required by law and declaring an effective date. Mr. Lewis. 
uh, as I was saying on Ellis County, um, <laughs> the only one on the list that I recognized was John Wood. I've worked with him, been to a couple. He teaches a lot of classes about appraisals and processes and stuff. So um, I would, we also received an email from a, a group that had his name on the list. And so I would be, we have 95 votes. So I would make a motion that we would give all 95 votes to John Wood. All right, Mr. Luke. All right, thank you, Ms. Short. All right, questions. On my left, my right, hearing none, seeing none, please cast your vote, Michael Evans. All right, and the motion carries 7 0. Motion now, Mr. Newsom. Motion adjourn. There you Second. go. There you go. Second. There you go. All right, and I think that was uh, Lewis, somebody. Mr. Brosh. All right, Mr. Brosh did it. That motion carries, I'm sure, 7 0. We adjourn at 8 28 p.m. Y'all have a great Thanksgiving and a blessed time with your family members and loved ones, and I'll see you Tuesday. Yes. <laughs>